battle in the heart of Alabama caught our attention. Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. I If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Hey, good morning, y'all. Welcome to The Valley Labor Report. My name is Adam Keller, and this is Shop Talk. So Shop Talk is our new Thursday morning episode we're producing every week with a focus on labor education, history, and training. It's Thursday, May 11th, and we're broadcasting live from Spice Radio Studio in the heart of the Tennessee Valley in Huntsville, Alabama. Every live, every episode is live streamed on YouTube and Facebook and is released on your favorite podcasting platform in the coming days. Today on the show, back to training with an in-depth look at the Trader Joe's campaigns and what lessons we can learn when we lose a battle. Just a reminder that the Valley Labor Report is a working class media collective dedicated to lifting up labor struggles throughout Alabama and across the South. We bring you Alabama's only union talk radio show every Saturday morning with the first half from 9.30 to 11 a.m. live on FM radio through WVNN here in the Huntsville listening area. The entire program is online via Facebook, YouTube, and podcast and portions of the program are replayed on WZZA in the Shoals and WHIV out of New Orleans. We encourage you to check out our website, tvlr.fm, which we're currently expanding to feature regularly published articles, including news and commentary relevant to working people. You can also check out our merch at tvlr.fm store. Uh, we do have a new shirt in, so check that out for sure. And finally, we rely on donations and sponsorships to put out all of this free content. We appreciate the local unions and organizations that have sponsored ads on our main Saturday show. We are looking for sponsors for Overtime and Shop Talk. I'm excited that we do have our very first Shop Talk sponsor, but we still need a couple more to sustain the series for the long haul. Beyond unions and allied organizations, we're also interested in other media outlets, union print shops and vendors, publishers, really anyone who might be interested in reaching an audience of union activists and allies. So please hit us up if you have ideas for sponsors or if you're interested in your organization becoming a sponsor. Our single biggest source of contributions comes from listener donations. You can make a one-time donation or a recurring contribution at tvlr.fm donate. We also have a Patreon if you prefer to donate that way, and we'll even take a good old-fashioned check mailed to our P.O. box. Whether you donate, share, subscribe, or just listen, we appreciate your support, and we can't do it without you. We put out all of this content for free because we are dedicated to growing the Southern labor movement. If you share this mission, please support however you can so we can have media by, for, and of the working class. And at the Valley Labor Report, we are big fans of Labor Notes. Labor Notes is a media and organizing project that has been the voice of union activists who want to put the movement back in the labor movement since 1979. 
Through their magazine, website, books, conferences, and workshops, Labor Notes promotes organizing, aggressive strategies to fight concessions, alliances with worker centers, and unions that are run by their members. Labor Notes is also a network of rank and file members, local union leaders, and labor activists who know the labor movement is worth fighting for. They encourage connections between workers and different unions, worker centers, communities, industries, and countries to strengthen the movement from the bottom up. With 40 years of movement building behind them, Labor Notes exist as a resource for leaders and union members who want to chart a new course for the labor movement. At the Valley Labor Report, we are proud subscribers and supporters, and we encourage all of our listeners to do the same. Go to labornotes.org to find out more. So today we have a very special guest, Amy Wilson from Revolutions Per Minute. She's going to talk about her journey, her show, her experience in the Trader Joe's union campaigns, and what lessons we can learn when we lose a battle. And uh, we do have one more special guest this morning on Shop Talk. Welcome. Hello. It's nice to be here. I appreciate you letting me uh, letting me join for the Adam Solo project. Absolutely. Uh, anytime. Anytime. <laughs> Always appreciate the help. Uh, yeah, looking forward to it. We got a great conversation. This oh yeah, morning. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, and the guest is is a big reason that I wanted to come by. I had to come by. Uh, today because we are going to be pre-taping the main show today. So if it looks like I'm wearing the same shirt on Saturday as I am today, uh, it is not because I'm filthy and I'm wearing the same shirt three days in a row. It's because uh, it's the same day for me, even though you're going to be seeing it on two different days. Um, but uh, uh, And that's because I am uh, I'm getting married on Saturday, so we're going to be pre-taping that. Um, but yeah, I, I know Amy. I've been on her show uh, up in New York a couple of times, at least once. Uh, follow each other on Twitter. She's a great follow, um, and you definitely want to check out her show. Also want to remind folks about the uh, Letter Carriers Food Drive uh, is happening, sure. yeah, happening this Saturday, wherever you are in the country. So Amy, you can even do this up there. Um, uh, Letter Carriers, the Letter Carriers Union, are uh, picking up non-perishable food items at um, at mailboxes across the country and then donating that to local food pantries. So, um, so want to remind folks about that here and uh, up where where you're from. Uh, so, yeah, Amy, welcome to the Valley Labor Report. Thanks for taking the time this morning. Oh, hi. Good morning. It's great to be here. Um, last time I saw you, you didn't have this uh, mustache situation going on. So I'm happy to see you preparing for the wedding and, and congratulations on that as well. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And actually, actually, I may be shaving the mustache for the wedding. Ooh, uh, yeah. Really? So, yeah, I might do that. My uh, my fiance is ambivalent. She uh, likes the mustache and she also likes the uh, the clean shaven. But uh, my entire family is very much opposed to the mustache. Uh, they, hmm. would, <laughs> they are they're very much not happy with it. So do uh, whatever the bride wants. Yeah. At the end of the day, do whatever she asked you to do. Yeah, and, and also the efficient the efficient. We are having one of our friends marry us, and uh, and our friend our mutual friend says that uh, the mustache is very ugly and that it should go. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll We'll see what happens between now and Saturday. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Amy, let's talk about let's talk about your show and and you uh, yourself, uh, you know, as an individual. Before we get into these uh, um, 
you know, uh, uh, the campaign, uh, you do a radio program on FM, you know, terrestrial radio as well, up in New York City. Uh, Revolutions Per Minute. Talk to us about that uh, that program. Sure. So, um, hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Amy Wilson. My pronouns are she, her. And as Jacob said, I am a co-host and producer on Revolutions Per Minute on WBAI 99.5 FM. Revolutions Per Minute is the officially endorsed show of our local chapter of the DSA, uh, the New York City chapter. We've been broadcasting since January of 2019, basically continuously, um, including through the pandemic shutdown. We adjusted to that just like a lot of other media projects had to. Uh, we're on weekly Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. And we focus on organizing news from an organizer's perspective. So all of the people who work on producing the show on the back end, myself included, are organizers ourselves in our daily lives. And so when we produce Revolutions Per Minute, we're always thinking about the perspective that's gonna be most relevant for people who are on the ground. We're looking for real lessons, we're looking for real victories and also real losses sometimes because as mm -hmm. today's show will allude to, that is part of organizing. Um, but we're really um, happy to be, I, I'm personally really happy to be on Valley Labor Report because um, as Adam said in uh, the introduction to today's show, worker-centered media is all too rare in this country. So it's really cool to see other people in other parts of the country um, putting that out as well. In New York City, although many people think of us as a liberal and union bastion, that is true. We do have a really strong labor movement here in the city. Um, there are people out on the picket lines for WGA and a bunch of other strike activity right now as we speak, in fact. Mm -hmm. But New York City is also the heart of finance capital, mm. and it's where a lot of these major uh, corporations have their headquarters and their CEOs and higher up leadership. So there's also a very strong reactionary and far right element in the city as well that we're constantly battling here in the city. Yeah, y'all have uh, Rudy Giuliani broadcasts from, from your city, right? Yeah, not to mention um, America's favorite cop mayor, Eric Adams. Oh, yeah, yeah, Ooh. that's right, that's right. Um, yeah, and so, you know, uh, for a lot of us here kind of in, uh, uh, in the labor movement here in the South, a lot of us um, kind of, uh, or some of us at least, came to it from a... Uh, a different side. There was sort of a conversion, right? Uh, you know, I, I mean, for me in, in particular, uh, the conversion was kind of stark. Uh, I came from, a you know, a very conservative, not really, not necessarily anti-union family, but, but non-union family. And I've really, um, you know, been convinced of the value of the labor movement. Uh, Adam has a, you know, a somewhat similar story, but I don't think it was as stark. You know, I think he's he's got some family who who's been in in unions before. But uh, uh, what was? I, I'm interested in your story of uh, politicization. What was the thing, or maybe you just grew up around it, uh, that that made you want to be active in in politics and labor and uh, and stuff like that. Sure. So I actually found out as an adult that I do have a strong labor movement background. My mother said to me just a few years ago that her father, who I never got to meet, never knew, was a, a staunch union supporter. Um, they were living in Queens in a conservative Jewish neighborhood. And um, my grandfather apparently was the world's number one union supporter. But I never found that out. And so I was an adult and already well on my path. Mm. Um, 
I grew up in Portland, Oregon, which again is another place that many people might think of as a liberal bastion where the reality is a little bit more complex. Certainly the last couple of years in Portland have seen shown that the police and the far right are significant threats. But that was evident, you know, long before to people who were paying attention. Um, Oregon was actually founded in some respects as a white nationalist or whites only type of place. So growing up there is a very white place, very monoracial, um, mm. but also filled with a lot of people with progressive values. So as I grew up and moved out of Oregon and pursued my own path, I really had to reconcile coming from this type of, you know, white bubble with people who would express very anti-racist sentiments abstractly, but mm -hmm. may not be quite so comfortable or as willing to put that in practice. So I'm very fortunate that I, I moved to a more uh, racially diverse place, Southeast Michigan, lived there as a young adult, and then came to New York City in, in my mid-20s and was exposed to, of course, all different types mm -hmm. of, of people and environments. Um, but in terms of politics, um, I've always been a feminist. Uh, feminism is really my political home. Um, my mother was a, a pioneer in her field. She um, was an OBGYN um, and the first generation of women doctors um, in the early 1980s. So I grew up with that as a background, as a grounding. Um, she was a career woman. She worked outside the home. And feminism was really um, how I got my first political start as a, as a teenager, frankly. And of course, as well, the Iraq War, which started mm -hmm. when I was in high school. And I remember going to protests um, against the Iraq War as a teenager in, in Portland, Oregon. Once I grew up a little bit and started to really dig into feminism and, and what it meant, it really, I think, inevitably led me into um, a more socialist or a more class-oriented um, perspective, because when you do any research into women lives, either here in the United States or internationally, you can see how much work and working conditions really affects women's lives and everything that happens to workers and the working class happens to women. And it often affects women disproportionately in terms mm -hmm. of the negative impact. And of course, that effect is only magnified if you're looking at race as well, which of course you should. So women of color tend to be the hardest hit by things like um, poverty wages and things like that. So that's really what led me into my solidarity with um, all people um, across class is this idea that um, what's good for women is good for the world. And women are actually the majority of the world. We are a mass class. So I identify now as a, a socialist feminist. Um, and that's really a big part of my politics. Uh, personally, um, I'm also an artist. And as anybody out there who's an artist may know, it's really hard to survive without mm -hmm. a day job. Uh, in my 20s, I did a lot of research and thinking into how I could survive as an artist. And most solutions either came down to relying on an institutional backing, like an academy, a, a university, or re uh, relying on grants and things like that. Um, and because I also have this kind of contrarian, like independent streak in myself, I thought, you know, where is this money coming from? Mm. Um, and a lot of the money that flows to artists is essentially part of a project of trying to smooth off some rough edges or corners of some pretty nasty stuff sometimes that people are doing that they then flow money to artists. It's called art washing. 
So I decided I didn't want to do that, decided I would always need to have a day job, ended up in the service industry, uh, the great unorganized, ununionized uh, service industry. And, you know, the rest is, is history. From there, it's just, you know, my material conditions. Um, I've always been the type of person who can't stay quiet about an injustice, and that has extended to the workplace. Um, for many years, I felt like I was fighting alone. Um, in 2016, 2017, I found the labor movement, started to go to some labor notes training. So I really appreciate yeah. your shout out to, to labor notes as well. And that really got me started with connections and resources to realize, you know, you really don't have to fight alone. And in fact, it, it's better if you don't. So um, everything that I do now, I, I, I do in community and I'm much better off for it. Mm, absolutely. Um, and, and that is a shame really about the uh... Uh, you know, the, there was the, uh, there was a question in, in the chat about art washing, and and I and I think the um, you know the point that you were getting at is that that you know in the same way that you're going to have corporations uh, greenwash, uh, you know, try to tout their uh, credentials and the things that they're doing as far as oh we're cutting emissions by this amount or we're doing this or we're doing this reforestation, and a lot of it is is really. Uh, if you dig into it, is, is not actually true. Uh, and then beyond that, even to the extent that it is true, they try to use this good PR to mask, uh, you know, anti-worker policies that they have, right? Um, and, and so in, in the same way, they try to do that with art, it is presumably your point, right? They try to fund these, uh, you know, these artistic grants and, and say, like, look at how much, you know, we're doing for, for the community and beautifying the, beautifying the city and stuff like that, right? Absolutely. You know, one major example is um, the Poetry Foundation uh, gets the better part of its money from um, the Lilly family, mm. which is better wow. known for being one of the major drivers of the opioid crisis. So that's just mm. one example of these linkages that people know, people talk about, but not everybody wants to look it directly in the eye, partly because people do have to survive and people make right. choices to support themselves. And I, I don't judge individuals on that level. Right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's it's definitely not to say that every artist who gets a grant from there is, is uh, completely and totally compromised. But it is, you know, that I, I can appreciate your decision to try to stay away from that. And and it is a shame that, you know, uh, that that there isn't more uh, communitarian type of uh, of funding for art. You know, I mean, the, the New Deal had a very big arts program. Uh, some some murals that were created in the New Deal are still standing today. Um, and back in the 40s and 50s, the CIO had a uh, you know had a, had a big art, arts department and and stuff like this. And and there were uh, I I was up in Maine a while back. Um, talking to an older organizer, uh, Peter Kelman, and, and I was in his house and he just had all of these these really cool uh, arts and posters and stuff that were created by the CIO in, in the 40s and 50s. And, and um, it, it would be, uh, you know, I definitely love to see more of that today. And, uh, and it's a shame that that, that doesn't exist. Um, and, but Adam, I think that, you know, the Iraq war was a big part of your politicization as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of your story really resonated with me. Uh, I was certainly not raised a feminist, uh, quite the opposite. <laughs> uh, but I, I will say that I didn't discover that I had labor connections until, you know, my adult life, until I was already firmly, you know, in the movement, uh, you know, learned those things later on. Uh, but yeah, the Iraq war as a teenager really kind of woke me up politically and uh, shook me out of the conservative upbringing I'd, I'd been raised with. Um, 
because, you know, at one time I, I thought what we were taught, which was if you critiqued the war, you were anti-American, uh, mm -hmm. you hated the country. Uh, if you critiqued George W. Bush, you, you hated the country, You're, you were a terrorist sympathizer, all that kind of thing. And uh, but thankfully, uh, you know, as I grew older and I, I actually read uh, kids, reading is important, let me tell you. <laughs> um, and yeah, and just got to like kind of expand my, my horizons and, and learn from other people. But the Iraq war was definitely one of those things that uh, stuck with me and, and probably politicized me before labor did. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we, we let's. Uh, go to you know uh, um, what uh, you know what what we invited you on for Amy and and that's to talk about uh, you know the work that you have done and, and and you know you mentioned that you've been been working in labor since since 2016 2015 2017 you know uh, uh, sooner than I did and uh, uh, but in particular you um, are working now you're a worker organizer at Trader Joe's and your store the workers at your store filed for a union election um, I believe it was last year uh, and and the election happened early this year if I'm remembering right is that is that a the correct timeline it was in uh, you're, you're half right we filed last year and we voted last year as well. okay Gotcha. And and unfortunately, I, I think y'all were the third store to file for a union election, uh, but but y'all did not win. And so this is something that happens whether or not it's a uh, it's a union election. Uh, workers losing fights is something that happens. You know, it, it's, it's something that happens right. uh, more yeah. than you know more than we would like. And and whether that is you didn't get the the wage increase that you wanted in the contract. The uh, the strike uh, uh, didn't give you everything that you wanted, or uh, somebody gets fired in retaliation for their organizing, mm -hmm. and and you're not able to get their job back. Whatever it is, sometimes the fact is that workers lose. And and uh, you know, I was talking to Adam before the show. People will burn down their cities if their sports team loses, right? And there's nothing, no material implications there. And so you can imagine, there's a lot of. You know, there's a lot of material implications. There's a lot of emotional implications in, in, in having a lost fight. And so uh, I wanted, you know, we wanted to talk to you about that. And, and, and you suggested that a, a while back. And I'm glad that we were, were able to make that happen today. But I, I guess to start off, uh, paint the broader picture of the Trader Joe's union campaign nationally. Because it's not just happening at, it didn't just happen at your store. There are multiple stores across the country that have unionized uh, at this point and, and, and have filed for union elections. So talk to us about the broad strokes there. Why are workers at Trader Joe's uh, unionizing? Yeah, it's an interesting story. It's very much of a piece with some other larger labor movement stories that viewers are almost certainly familiar with if you're if you're watching this show like Starbucks I think historians will certainly look back on Starbucks union campaign as a watershed moment for service industry unionism in general of course the Amazon win at JFK 8 here in New York City and Staten Island um, was a watershed moment as well people in industries that are unorganized or underorganized are really starting to take that risk and, and take that leap and that's all started to build up a lot of momentum in the last couple of years. So at Trader Joe's, we're definitely operating in a context um, that includes other service industry workers and also people farther up the distribution chain, like warehouse workers and logistics workers as well. So at Trader Joe's specifically, um, 
the first, uh, so there's there's a long history of unions at Trader Joe's that would be a whole other uh, live stream to get into, but I'll, I'll give it to you in brief. Um, the, in its current iteration, um, the Trader Joe's union movement really started uh, last spring, around this time last year actually, when a store in Western Massachusetts, uh, in Hadley, Massachusetts, announced that they were going public with a union campaign and that they were gonna do it with an independent union which is another big trend in the labor movement that has a lot of people discussing uh, mm -hmm. the upsides and downsides of independent unionism. Um, but the workers in, in Hadley, Massachusetts decided they would go with um, an independent union called Trader Joe's United. They announced in May, their election was in July uh, and they won. And it was the first um, store in the history of Trader Joe's that had ever successfully filed, conducted, and won a union election. Shortly after them, another store in Minneapolis won. So it was this real one-two combo of two stores kind of pulling off the unimaginable and, and winning against this big corporation. A lot of people forget about Trader Joe's because its aesthetic and branding is very successful um, in positioning it as a quote, neighborhood grocery store. And that's a big part of the corporate mystique. But Trader Joe's is a national chain it has over 500 locations, rapidly expanding. Its profits are in the billions of dollars. And it's just like any other corporate employer on a lot of levels. And workers at the store, including my store, really feel that. So um, late last summer, um, my store in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, uh, decided to go for it, following the lead of Hadley in Minneapolis. We collected cards. Um, our campaign was interrupted by a union busting tactic on the part of management. They actually posted a note in our break room saying, we know you're collecting cards and um, you know, if we could file the petition for you, we would, but we can't. So mm. we're just hoping that everybody keeps it fair. You know, it was just a really sleazy, mm. sleazy tactic. And then um, not so coincidentally, they, they actually fired um, one of our organizing committee members the following day, wow. um, which again wow. was, a pretty transparent union busting tactic, although um, the National Labor Re Relations Board didn't agree with us on that. But that also speaks to, you know, the importance of worker self-organization and mm. the National Labor Relations Board isn't an agency that's going to come in from uh, above or outside and, and save you. Um, it's doing the best it can with what it has, but I think there's also real limitations to what the NLRB is able to do um, on the uh, on the ground shop floor mm -hmm. level. So unfortunately, the, the firing unfair termination of one of our organizing committee members, whose name is um, Jazz, uh, really put a, a set us back in our organizing campaign for a few reasons. One of which is that Jazz was the most visible black unionist um, on the shop floor. Um, a very talented organizer who'd been through a campaign in a previous job, knew the workings of a union campaign and what needed to be done great at talking to people, um, very well liked, um, all the qualities of an organic leader. And I think management knew what they were doing when they, when they mm -hmm. took her out. Um, we did our best to recover from that, but ultimately we weren't able to. Uh, management conducted in the weeks subsequent, they um, conducted a, basically a shock and awe anti-union campaign where they sowed doubt about, you know, anything that you can think of in terms of like, what anti-union, the union busting bingo might be, right? Uh, doubt about our health insurance, our 401k, 
whether mm. we would get our raises, what happens if we go on strike, who's really leading this independent union, how well do you know them, do you trust them with your money, mm. they're going to take money out of your paycheck. Um, we had workers weaponized um, by management who would share their stories of working in USCW grocery stores in the 1980s and 1990s wow. and how the union didn't do anything for them then and just took money out of their paycheck, which was a pretty killer blow because mm. there was nothing we could say to that other than I'm sure that's right, right? I mean, I think that we always have to be thinking about the truth of workers' experiences. And it's true that a lot of workers have had bad experiences with unions. And Unfortunately, um, that was really came to the fore in, in our campaign at Trader Joe's. So in late October, the vote was conducted and we had 66 people vote yes to the union, 66 brave, amazing people voted yes to the union, but it wasn't enough votes to carry the day. So in late October, we lost our union um, campaign. And then the Trader Joe's United uh, movement kept rolling as one would hope and expect. Mm -hmm. And they racked up actually another victory uh, last month in Oakland, California, which is a significant win because it's the first Trader Joe's union in California, the company's home state. Um, and unfortunately, at the same time, on the same day, there was another store here in New York City, um, just across the Williamsburg Bridge from my location, that had the devastating result of losing in a tie. Oh, um, no. Yeah, yeah, which is one of those things that you stipulate to in the election agreement that a tie goes to the employer, you just never think you're gonna be in that situation. Mm. But it happened to um, our comrades on the Lower East Side. So that was a really brutal loss. Um, I don't know what's gonna come of it for them, but obviously I'm wishing them all the best. And I'm wishing the four stores um, that uh, are organized with Trader Joe's United all the best in contract negotiations, which they're working on right now. Um, there's Hadley, Minneapolis, a store in the South, Louisville, Kentucky, and Oakland, California that are currently um, organized with Trader Joe's United. So that's four stores. So we have approximately 496 left to go. There you go. That's, I mean, that's, uh, that's probably about the same percentage as, uh, as where Starbucks is right now, right? Because, I mean, they've organized over 300 stores, but there's like 7,000 Starbucks stores. So if you've organized four out of 400, I think you're, you know, you're uh, uh, that, that's that's not too bad. That's coming pretty close. Uh, and and so the um, you know the uh, you said there were 66 people that voted yes. And, and do you remember how many people voted no? Yes, <laughs> 94. 94. And and so there were probably about 200 people in, in the store, something something like that. Um, how you know. I, I'm interested in, in some of the uh, some more of the campaign um, at your individual store. Uh, you know, after Jazz was fired, after after Jazz was fired, uh, what uh, you know, wh what did people say, or, or what was the, what was the feeling among the committee, and then also the people that that ended up voting no? Was it? Uh, did they kind of agree with management like that this was a just firing or were there people that that understood and, and knew and said that this is not right but because of this I have seen the power of the employer and I'm just I'm just not interested in fighting right now yeah I think a little bit of both um, we, we did respond pretty strongly as an organizing committee and as a sort of proto-union at that time to jazz's firing 
we had an action outside our store where we um, had signs and gave out flyers and Jazz um, herself was able to be there and chat with customers going into the store on a Sunday, which is the busiest day for um, any grocery store. Mm. So we did do a direct action in response to Jazz's firing. And and that definitely produced a mixed result. Um, I, I think it's fair to say some people were very um, pleased by that, very attracted to that, because what we were saying is, you know, like the, when when we're a union, this is what we want to do for everybody. And mm. if, if you're fired unjustly, we want to be out here for you, too, because Jazz's firing was in a pattern of um, mostly black women who mostly worked morning shifts, um, who were fired for what we considered to be unfair or sort of racially targeted or racially discriminatory reasons. Um, but as much as some of our uh, coworkers really appreciated the fact that we took radical direct action, a, a lot of our coworkers really didn't appreciate that. And mm -hmm. I think, again, it, it's important to, to be honest about that and to be honest about the fact that um, militancy and, and direct action are, are things that um, are not everybody's cup of tea. I, I think there's a strong sense, at least in my workplace, I don't want to speak to others' workplaces or experiences, but at least in my workplace, uh, as low-wage workers who feel a strong sense of economic precarity and losing a job is among the worst things that could potentially happen to you. It might be among your, your worst fears to, to lose a job. Um, anything that's perceived as rocking the boat is going to be perceived as threatening, um, even if ultimately the power lies in the boss management's hands. Um, if you're perceived as the one who's rocking the boat and people are worried they're going to fall out the side of the boat, they're going to blame you for that. So mm -hmm. there was a little bit of backlash um, to that direct action. Um, and then from then on, it was we, we got so focused on management's sort of personal feelings about the union. Um, Trader Joe's is a very tight-knit workplace where all of the managers came from the ranks. Um, you, their only way to become a manager at Trader Joe's basically is to work your way up, which might superficially seem to be a, a good you know, meritocratic system. But in practice, it's not because it, it's very untransparent. It becomes something that can be used to manipulate um, the rank and file of, of the, the crew members, which is what we're called. Everything's kind of this nautical metaphor. Mm. Um, and it kind of becomes this, this carrot that can be um, dangled in front of people like, well, you know, we got, we got our eye on you. We think your management potential. So, mm -hmm. you know, you, you want to stick with us, not them. People have very strong relationships with their managers. And ultimately, I think one thing that was really um, fatal for our union effort was that um, the union was perceived as as critiquing management hmm. in a way that crew members interpreted as a as a personal attack. And I think there's a lot to be said there about um, sort of worker attitudes in this country in general and how it is easier to identify with the boss and think that you're going to be there someday than it is to understand that you already are um, with the workers and that's a, a political position that you hold mm. and so what was uh how did y'all uh fight back against some of these things you know when uh when management was trying to act as if this is a personal attack on them that that you uh 
uh, were, uh, you know, that you were being mean or <laughs> uncouth or whatever. Um, and or, or when Trader Joe's uh, tried to say, uh, you know, look what look what happened to these UFC former UFCW employees in the 80s. Uh, you know, their their union didn't uh, uh, didn't do exactly the way that they wanted them to do. You know, what were some of the things that, that y'all were pushing for offensively, uh, you know, in, in the sense of. You know, I mean, presumably uh, the, the folks who who signed cards to file for the election, uh, they had things that they that they wanted to try to fight for. Maybe higher wages, maybe uh, uh, um, set scheduling. That's something that service people uh, would would really benefit from. It seems to me, um, and so I'm not sure what those things were there that y'all were fighting for. But but what were some of the ways that that y'all tried to put your uh, uh, put the platform forward and then rebut some of these accusations uh, from management and then from from Trader Joe's corporate? Yeah, well, one of the things that we really um, believed in strongly was the worker-led nature of Trader Joe's United as an independent union. Um, And that was one of the things that we would often say to respond to people's concerns about unions the way they they had been. Grocery is one of the few, relatively few retail industries that actually has a pretty high union density, um, but it's largely with UFCW, um, which has been not so great in the past, um, but we're really excited to see there's a reform effort happening in UFCW right now that they just did a a big showing at their convention last month. So that's really exciting. I think that's something that everybody uh, should be watching, especially me as a grocery worker. I'm I'm very interested in those efforts. Mm -hmm. But um, we we talked a lot about how Trader Joe's United was a union formed by Trader Joe's crew for Trader Joe's crew. Um, We pointed a lot to the other examples of um, worker organizing and unionism that are well known in the air right now. Anybody who's on social media or who reads certain types of news might know somebody like Chris Smalls from the Amazon Labor Union. Um, They might see somebody like Chris, like speaking truth to power, being unapologetically a working class black man um, in these environments. That's a very attractive kind of thing for people. And again, as we discussed earlier in the show, it's something that isn't really seen all that often, the types of faces and the types of voices and the types of political messages that people see um, is, is very tightly controlled in some ways. So we, we kind of looked to the side at other service industry workers who were unionizing and winning. Starbucks was mm-hmm. definitely a huge bolster in our campaign. Uh, most people who've worked in the service industry have worked multiple service industry jobs. And we had you know at least five to 10 people within our own store who had previous examples, who had previous experience working at Starbucks themselves. Mm. So they knew what it was like to have friends or coworkers or former coworkers go through an organizing drive. And they knew that it was hard, right? Like we didn't try to sugarcoat the fact that what we were doing was difficult for a reason. And when it, it, it got hard and when we did start to lose faith, you know, we would kind of reframe it and think, you know, this, this is hard for a reason because we're up against a very large opponent, which is a national chain retail company, mm-hmm. something that even we as workers have to remind ourselves of sometimes. And in terms of, you know, the issues that pushed us to organize or what people really felt strongly that we needed, 
higher wages is a huge one. Um, there's research showing that $25 an hour is a living wage for a single adult um, in Kings County, which is where Brooklyn is located. Um, our average wage hovers like $19, $20 an hour, and people are trying to support families on that. Um, mm -hmm. So it was very obvious that we were far under where we should be. Um, we also were looking for more um, paid time off and more sick time. Having worked many people through the height of the COVID pandemic, when the company had given more COVID leave, more paid time off, more flexible policies in 2020, oftentimes when forced to um, right. by local mm. governments or local regulations. Right. Um, but the company had done it and then it had taken it away. So mm. that was something that was really powerful for people of like, well, we know that the company can do it, but the only thing that will prevent them from taking it away is getting it in writing and getting a contract. Because the other reality of life as a worker at Trader Joe's is that a lot of people do really like it. Um, it. It works well for a lot of people. But what we would say to those people is, you know, look, we've seen that this company will go back and forth. We'll work out a deal with you and then not honor it or we'll give a hazard pay bonus for three months and then take it away. Um, it's not consistent. So we need to hold them accountable to their own values and get some of these things more systematized and more democratic and transparent so that everybody knows how to access this type of benefit and access this type of sweetheart deal that 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 you might have worked out over the years. So those are a couple of the issues that we um, were really focused on. And also discipline was a, a huge thing. And discipline was is a tricky thing as well mm -hmm. to discuss um, mm. because we, we felt that there were patterns of unfair discipline um, that were, again, like I said, racially or motivated or obviously racially patterned don't want to speak to motivations but we can speak mm -hmm. to what we can observe which is right. a pattern um of black women particularly facing these kind of unfair you know surveillance or, or meetings with managers every day checking up on their performance or being asked to show receipts when nobody else literally like receipt for something that you've purchased when nobody else says you know these things that are just simple and basic and about rights and dignity in in the workplace and um, that unfortunately was a real sticking point for some people because, well, some people, some workers have, I guess, anti-worker beliefs and would rather believe that somebody brings something on themselves by being mm -hmm. late too many times or what have you, than that it could be you know, unfair on the part of management or that management could have unconscious biases that are playing out in the, the types of people that they look at for discipline. Yeah. I mean, there's there's really so much there. And, and, and that's a, you know, some really good, um, really good and important topics of conversation. And, and, you know, the discipline, like you said, it's a tricky issue because everybody, I think, wants to be treated fairly. But also there is a real interest that a worker has in the in, in his or her co-workers. Uh, you know, performing well, because uh, in the immediate sense, you know, what happens when you don't have a coworker performing well is that is that you have to pick up the slack. And and so that can be difficult and kind of uh, a sort of anti-solidaristic anti -solidaristic force uh, that, that workers have. But we've got to figure out, you know, how to um, how to agitate around discipline uh, while, you know, maintaining a uh you know uh a perception among among our, our co-workers that you know look we we don't want 
everybody to just be slacking off and nothing to happen. We want everybody to be a good worker, but we we want everything to be fair, right? Um, and uh, somebody in the chat mentioned about you know 19 an hour in New York uh, is 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 really you know that's not the same as it is here in uh, you know Alabama, and it's uh, and and even 19 an hour here in Alabama isn't uh, what it used to be. Right. I mean, um, it ain't much. It yeah. ain't much. And, and, and so, and, and also, I wanted to just say that I, I think that discipline conversation is an important one. And it's something that came up a lot in my work recruiting members mm. uh, because folks would say, well, you know, that's for the people who get in trouble. Right. I, I don't get in right. trouble, right. right? I do, I do my job, I, I keep my head down, I stay out of trouble. Uh, and, and, you know, that's that can that's a difficult force to counteract. And it's something mm-hmm. that we have to deal with in the workplace. And, you know, and unfortunately, some of those workers will only change their mind when they do get in trouble, right. uh, in which case we've got to be there to support them and, and mm-hmm. try to, you know, move them along and elevate their consciousness, you know, to learn from that. But, you know, that is something that's that's a real it's a real factor that we have to deal with. So I'm glad mm-hmm. you, you mentioned that as well. Absolutely. And, and, and before we go on, on to another topic, I also wanted to mention somebody else in the chat. I said that, uh, you know, UFCW isn't perfect, but Stop and Shops uh, are a paradise compared to other non-union stores like uh, Walmart and Price Ride. And, and I think that, you know, nobody's going to discount that. And I actually have a, uh, uh, my, in the, you know, in the federal government, we've got a, you know, a nice cushy federal government job. You, you know, it, it's, uh, the, the hours are nice, the pay is good, the benefits are good. Um, and uh, my uh, bargaining unit vice president, you know, the head of our bargaining unit in the union, um, elected by the members, uh, she worked in a grocery store, in a union grocery store, for like 10 years. And she still talks about that experience to this day, about like, you know, how important unions are to her, because she's got like a pension or something from from that 10 years in the grocery store. And so, you know, there's definitely, you know, and what you were saying is not to, certainly not to discount that. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. We can acknowledge where some unions have room to improve and where it still is better than, you know, no mm-hmm. union at all. And, and but, you know, the, the larger point is that, some workers have had bad experiences right. with your organization, perhaps, maybe not in this case because it was brand new. You know, y'all were doing this from scratch. But, you know, if you're organizing for an established union, you're going to run into people who have anecdotes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now some of these anecdotes may be from, you know, well, they heard it from their cousin who heard it from somebody else. Right. You know, but then there are those who have real experiences like, hey, I called them and they let me down. Uh, and that's something that, you know, we have to be able to deal with and, you know, acknowledge people's truths while trying to, uh, you know, ensure that they don't let that represent the entire movement as a whole. Mm. Uh, because, of course, nobody's perfect. We're all humans. These institutions we're describing are, are you know, created by humans and staffed by humans. So uh, it's not going to be perfect. But, you know, we do mm-hmm. have to, 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 you know, respond to workers and meet them where they're at when it comes to those experiences. And, and just try not to replicate them, of course. Mm-hmm. And Amy, I want to kick it back to you here in just a second, but I do have a story on that. You know, the the uh, Will in the chat, he's a Teamster from California, said he talked to an Amazon driver who said the same thing about Teamsters at Coca-Cola. They took his dues money and did nothing. And, and you know, that's another one of those examples. And, and um, Amy, you mentioned, you know, uh, as an adult finding out about some labor union history in your family. And well, my uncle was a uh, chief steward of the Teamsters at UPS in Huntsville, actually. Uh, and I found this out, you know, within the past, within the last year and a half, I think. And, um, 
And he has a story about how he feels like the Teamsters really kind of let him down when he got injured on the job, didn't fight for him to get his disability uh, that, that he was entitled to. And so he had to hire a private attorney and he ended up getting a, a lot of money from UPS. Uh, and so he ended up winning. And, and there were a lot of people in my family who thought that, therefore, because they had heard him talk shit about the union so much that, therefore, he was ideologically anti-union, but I was down knocking on doors for the Amazon campaign with RWDSU and Bessemer, and he saw that on my social media, and he texted me. He said, I just don't understand why Amazon workers wouldn't vote for a union. And I said, really? That's, you know, that's interesting. And, and, and you know, I told him about the, what I had heard, and he said, well, yeah, of course, they screwed me over, but I wouldn't have retired in 2001 making 30-something dollars an hour if it hadn't been for the union. You know, I mean, you got to understand, <laughs> you got to understand everything in its, in its proper context. So that was a really kind of fascinating uh, conversation that I had with him. Absolutely. And, you know, I do want to, I don't want to come off like I'm like I'm anti-USCW mm. at all. I'm not. And in fact, they, they are involved in the Trader Joe's story. There was um, a Trader Joe's location in Boulder, Colorado, um, that uh, filed for an election with UFCW um, in the summer, but then pulled their petition before their election um, was set to happen, I think, mm. within a week before the election, which you know, I, I don't know exactly what happened there, but as somebody who went through the experience that I did, I, I can speculate what, what might have happened. Um, but I know they worked with UFCW and here in New York City as well. Um, we have a, a Trader Joe's wine shop because mm. of local New York state regulations. It's a, it was a separate shop, which was very popular um, and it was closed um, with no notice. And coincidentally or not so coincidentally, the workers there were organizing with UFCW. So UFCW is definitely part of, of the Trader Joe's story. Um, I think we're always stronger when we move together and, and grow together. And it is a big chain. UFCW is a really powerful um, union with a lot of shops. So, you know, hopefully there's something in the future that can kind of harmoniously unite mm -hmm. these established unions and independent unions because we're, we're not against each other. We are ultimately working toward the same goal. Right. And I think mm -hmm. when it comes to bad worker experiences with with unions in the past um, and, and and worker experiences with independent unions, it all comes back to the same answer, which is an, an answer that people don't necessarily always want to hear, um, which is that in the words of the labor movement um, star and mentor for many of us, Jane McAlevey, there's no mm -hmm. shortcuts, right? Mm -hmm. Like whether you are in uh, Teamsters, whether you're in IATSE, WGA, or whether you're in uh, a new independent union, a union that has two members, right? Whatever it might be, you always have to organize and there is no way around that. And there's never going to be a time when you get to sit back on your heels and just, you know, wait for the, the boss to start giving you things, right? I mm -hmm. mean, like being a, a worker under capitalism is, is hard work in, in more ways than one. And, you know, for us of us, for those of us who are organized and um, politically activated, I think my personal opinion is it's, it's good to get comfortable with the idea that you never truly get to uh, retire from organizing mm. <laughs> and that you're going to be organizing um, for the rest of your life because you always have to keep the boss on their toes. Yeah. And so, you know, one more question before we move into, you know, talking about what has happened since the election, you know, after... Um, uh, after the election results, uh, were there anything? Were there any conversations within the committee about sort of um, 
sort of lessons learned and, and things that, okay, well, we did we did this thing, and, and maybe because of this, we should have done something else, and so that's what we're going to do moving forward. Were there anything in particular that, that you felt like uh, the, the, the committee uh, came to a consensus uh, after the election that this was a really good thing that we did, we're proud that we did this, and this is something that maybe we would do differently? Absolutely. You know, we had tons of internal debrief conversation. Um, I think looking back that um, we were in a very uh, heated moment. You know, it was the the year that the first Trader Joe's organized and, and went public and we were coming very soon on, on the heels of that. And so everything that we did, we were really doing for the first time. And I think that uh, that, of course, is going to lead to mistakes. Um, yeah. One of the things that I think we, we really took from our experience was that um, organizing is, is very social. It's very relational. I'm sure that's true at most places, mm -hmm. but I think it's particularly true at an environment like Trader Joe's where um, we're hired for having a good personality. Um, mm -hmm. I went through three interviews to get hired at 18.25 an hour um, at Trader Joe's, which I found kind of unusual, but they're looking for people who have this very, uh, you know, the positive way to say it would be team oriented and <laughs> all the way down the spectrum to like a people pleaser. You should probably right. go to therapy for that, bro. <laughs> um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's, there's, right. there's some of that. And, you know, I think that that we, we looked at that as kind of our both our downfall um, in terms of what um, made the union drive not successful. Uh, people felt they didn't know the union. Mm. Um, they couldn't necessarily trust us because they didn't know us from outside of work because we weren't, you know, I'll, I'll speak for myself. I was relatively more new and I'm a very, mm. like, if I'm working one to nine, I'm in at 12.59, I'm out at 8.59, right? Like, mm. I'm, like, out the building at, like, 9.01. So, um, you, know, I, you know, I include myself in that. People felt they didn't know who I, who I was as mm. a person. Um, so we, we took that and we said, you know, this is a great opportunity for us. We can't file again for a year. Mm. Um, we need to take some time to recover from what we went through and let's do it together. And so we started hosting like bar nights um, on a specific night. Uh, there's a bar that does like a service industry night. We've been mm. taking people out and just kind of like getting to know people in a more relaxed environment. And it's not, you know, union meeting, it's not union mm -hmm. talk, but people know who we are and, and what we stand for. And um, I think ultimately the hope is that they'll see that we're chill, we're cool, right? Like we're, we're really working the job. Um, we're not here to bring the company down. We don't hate anybody. We're not against the managers. We're here representing something mm -hmm. that's, that's positive. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's still early days. And I think it takes a long time to recover from something like that. But I'm I'm very hopeful for for what the future could bring. Yeah, that that that's great, and it, and it's great to hear that that you know there hasn't been just a total uh, demolition of of the committee in there, and that, that there is still some um, you know maybe uh, you know more relaxed kind of conversations happening around that, and and so you know um, the 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 two things uh, you know in in kind of recovering from 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 a battle that that was lost are the the, the personal and then the the organizational aspect of it and so for, for the personal part of it you know 
well, like I said, people, you know, people will burn down their towns when their football team loses a game. And so, you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of emotion wrapped up in that. And so there's obviously a lot of emotion wrapped up in in, uh, you know, losing a union election. And so how did you know, how did you deal with that? Uh, personally, and and how would you recommend people kind of steel themselves against that and and recover from it uh, if it happens? Yeah, I, I'm really excited to to answer this question. Um, but before I do, I just want to add one more thing um, to the last question about the organizational response uh, because it's really more of a plug, which is that um, in in our committee we also decided we were going to file unfair labor practices charges mm. based on what happened during our election. Um, Trader Joe's United does have a relationship with a law firm, but because we were not members of Trader Joe's United, um, the, their ability to help us was relatively limited. Um, so we reached out to our friends at the Emergency Workplace Organizing Committee, EWOC, um, which is a great resource for anybody trying to organize their workplace. They were able to connect us um, with a lawyer who basically just, you know, did some question answering. Um, a couple phone calls with us and got us set up to file our own unfair labor practices mm. charges. So that's in the works right now. Um, and I can say that um, it was easier than I thought it would be to file unfair labor practices charges, especially online. Mm -hmm. The system is, is not that challenging. And people should know that they can do that whether or not they're members of an official union. Mm -hmm. um, they can do it on their own behalf. They can do it on behalf of a small group of workers. Um, definitely consider that as an option, even though I gave my spiel about the National Labor Relations Board not being something that's going to come from above and save us. It is a tool mm -hmm. in the arsenal of uh, a unionist. And um, it's a friend, worker-friendly board right now that really... Mm -hmm. Um, is, is going to bat for, for workers. So I think people should get out there and take advantage of that. Um, and I also think people, um, if they're interested in organizing their workplace, especially if they are in the service industry, definitely check out Emergency Workplace Organizing Committee. It's a really great group um, and they do a lot of good work. So Absolutely. Returning, to the, returning to the question of um, the personal side of it, it was really hard. I, I definitely... Um, if I could have burned down a city, I, I probably <laughs> I probably would have. I mean, I think anybody who's been through an organizing campaign knows how physically and, and emotionally demanding it is. It's hard to get a consistent sleep schedule. Mm. Um, it's hard to eat. You know, you might be eating, grabbing a lot of slices or whatever, mm. in my case, like just because you're trying to get something in between your work and your meeting or your work and your and your mm. call. Um, so after um, we lost our election, I think we really had a strong focus on, on self-care and, and community care. So as I mentioned, I am a feminist, and I, I really believe that feminism isn't just about what you do. It's also about how you act, and it's about the way you treat other people, and it's about the culture that you create um, in organizing. So from day one, we really tried to create a very supportive um affirming, open, honest culture within our organizing committee so that um, when things were not great, when people were having a hard time, we felt comfortable saying, you know, I'm really struggling with this, or I'm having a hard time, or I'm doubting myself, right? And that was something that was always okay to say um, in our context. And I think that really was our saving grace when we, when the campaign started to go south and when we eventually 
loss is that we had each other um, in a really real way. And I, I'm so grateful for that. And I think that um, if I had one piece of advice to give to worker organizers, it would be to prioritize your relationships hmm. with your coworkers because those are the most important people, right? Well, whoever you're working with, you might be working with a union staffer, you might be working with a lawyer, you might be working with somebody from Ewok, you know? Um, those are great relationships, but ultimately it's your coworkers that you're gonna be sharing the same work environment with going forward and having each other's back is really the, the most important thing. Um, I was, I still ha to this date have not taken off my uh, union pin at work. I still wear it because um, I think one piece of this puzzle here in terms of how do you get over a loss like this is it helps to just be incredibly stubborn <laughs> and just incredibly contrarian and not wanna let somebody win um, and kind of find those ways to like fight back or push back in whatever way it is, even if it's small, even if it's symbolic, like my union pin, I know they cannot ask me to take that off. Mm. And I know my rights. And I think they, they've never asked me to take it off because I think they, they know I know, right? And that's, that's mm -hmm. the, the energy that I, I hope I'm giving out. So, so little things like that, small acts of defiance, um, maintaining the community and, also for me, um, connecting to other parts of my life um, that I had to put on hold during the union campaign was a really important part of the recovery, not just my, my friends and family, but also you know, other issues that are important to me. So um, one thing that I've long been involved with um, uh, in, in addition to my organizing with labor is I'm a very passionate abortion access pro-choice organizer as well. And even though I'm not gonna say like, it's a good thing that Roe v. Wade was repealed or that abortion access is under threat every day, everywhere in this country. Um, for, for me personally, it was fulfilling to have another organizing home that I could go back to and another issue that was equally important to me um, where I felt like, okay, well, I may not have been able to make the impact that I wanted to with this particular labor campaign, but that doesn't mean that I can't still organize. There's not still places that need my help and communities where I can plug in and, and get organized too. So, you know, not everybody's gonna be organizing their workplace all the time, but there's tons of other social issues. Lord knows there's so much going on right now in terms of um, anything that you might care about that might be near and dear to your heart. So you can always put that organizing energy and that drive for a better world somewhere. Mm -hmm. And I encourage people to do that um, even in the wake of, of a loss because Every experienced organizer will tell you that losing is part of fighting mm -hmm. and you just have to figure out how you get how you get back into it. And a lot of this, the the personal recovery is is also and you kind of alluded to this is, is also part of the organizational recovery. Right. I mean, maintaining these relationships. Um, uh, uh, you know, maintaining your own personal sanity is is helpful in the context of being a good organizer. You know, I mean, if you, <laughs> you know, if you kind of uh, uh, really become an unreliable and uh, not fun person to be around because of of your, uh, you know, the the result of the election, then then that's certainly not going to help help the organization recover. Uh, and so there really is a, um, you know, I've I've set them up as kind of do two different things, but but they are really intertwined in a very important way. Absolutely, I would agree with that. And 
you know, we, we all have our, our dark days and our difficult moments. And I, I had my fair share of them as well. And um, the only thing that, that got me through was, again, having, having spaces where it's okay to not be okay. Hmm. Um, I, I find that, you know, I, I found often in my career as an organizer that, especially in labor, there, there's a bit of um, a masculinist, if you will, orientation, or, or sometimes a bit of a macho culture in labor organizing where it becomes about um, how hard you can push yourself or how little sleep you got or mm. how many campaigns you've been on. And, you know, I, I think it would really do us well to, to sort of start moving away from that and moving toward an organizing culture that recognizes that that people are, are full humans and emotions are okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and that you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be a robot. Because as well, I think there's a lot of pressure um, on worker worker organizers um, when you're representing the union. Um, it's easy for you know if you if you are leaning on your register at work, taking a break because you're tired. Does that then become oh well you know people who support the union are lazy mm. and they're not they're not pulling their weight right? There there's so many eyes on you and, and a lot of pressure right. on you and that's just going to be true on the shop floor. So you have to figure out places where you can kind of let your hair down a little bit and, and let out what needs to come out. Right. And so, uh, you know, back to organizationally, you know, you mentioned that, that, that you've had, you know, debriefs and discussions and, and now you're having these regular meetings. Is there anything else that y'all are doing to kind of uh, keep the committee alive or, or is that, uh, you know, kind of where you're at right now? That's, that's kind of where we're at right now. We also have our unfair labor practices mm. charge that's you know open. So it, it does require some organization to pull that off in terms of making sure you have your witnesses and making sure everybody's you know been in contact with the agent. But it, it's not a big lift, but mm-hmm. um, it's something that's on our plate. Um, and then I would say, you know, it's almost kind of back to not where we started because the seal's been broken and, you know, we, we can say the word union in the workplace now and we're not mm. afraid to, um, which is a really fun place to be, to be able to openly have a conversation about, you know, oh, um, I, t- I talked to a, a UPS driver on my block and he said that he's a Teamster and they're preparing for the Teamster strike or, you know, oh, like my mom is a nurse and like her hospital like just went out on strike. You know, there's just like, I'm a labor nerd. I really love talking about unions and labor. And so it's really nice to be able to discuss that openly on the floor. And then there's also just this element of, um, you know, like normalizing politics and normalizing having left politics in the workplace and not treating it as a shameful, dirty secret in terms of the things that um, I discuss on the shop floor, the things that I'll post on Instagram where my coworkers follow me, you know, it's like a lot more a lot more political now. And, and I really do believe that there's a benefit to that, even if it never leads to another campaign at my specific store. Um, the workplace is so mobile, or the workforce rather, is so mobile these days that people are going to be moving to other jobs. And, you know, the union wave is so strong right now that Lord knows when the next time any of my coworkers is going to have an organizer right. knocking at their door, asking them to sign a card. And I'd really love it if my coworkers were at least willing to consider um, listening to the next organizer that talks to them. And I think there's a lot of groundwork that can be laid. And, you know, another thing that that brings me like so much joy and I think is really like um, 
pushing the movement forward, if you will, in a broader sense is that, you know, now I have at least three of my coworkers who identify as organizers now, who identify yes. as labor organizers that didn't a year ago. So in terms of impact on the world, impact on the movement, you know, I think what ultimately we all can do is, is support each other and try to bring up more people who are empowered in themselves and who are willing to take on the work because nobody can do it alone. So for me, like talking to my coworkers who now see themselves in a different way um, is really encouraging and helpful. Amen to all that. Absolutely. Adam, do you have any other any questions for? No, I think that was a that was a really great way to end it. Honestly, um, just we we have to each one at least try to reach one. You reached three, so that's pretty damn good, I would say. And um, you know, we all have to support each other. It's hard. This is really really hard. Um, it's an uphill battle. We're gonna lose a lot more fights than we win, probably, or at least that's been my experience. Certainly here in the South, uh, you got to be able to take those hits and and eventually bounce back up and, and get back in the fight. And uh, I think there's real value in that. And I really appreciate your conversation today and just, you know, sharing firsthand that experience and appreciate what you've been doing and in, in your organizing efforts. And thanks for sharing it with us. Uh, thank you both for having me on. You know, it's really great to have such an in-depth conversation um, with fellow organizers. And just want to say thanks to everybody watching live. It's really cool that this stream is reaching people uh, somebody in the chat was from california so yeah. it's super early there um oh, so yeah, it's just it really is. cool to think of you know people across the country who are who are interested who are who are watching and um you know i i think if i can say one more just get one more piece mm, in absolutely. here i think that there's a lot of focus on um wins for workers and mm. because it's very exciting um uh but the fact of the matter is, as you just said, Adam, there's also a lot of losses for workers. And one thing that I'll that will stick with me, I think, is right before our um, election, I was actually at a, a friend's wedding with a bunch of my old friends from high schools, including some of those who were at those Iraq War protests, protests with me all the way back in the day. And you know, I just kind of let my mask down and I said to one of my old friends, you know, I'm so worried. I'm so worried that we're going to lose. And he just looked at me and said, we lose all the time. Mm, yeah. And I think it's really, it, you have to get comfortable with that. And I think in a capitalistic society like ours, winning, being a winner makes mm. you morally good. It makes you valuable. And being a loser makes you the opposite of that. And, you know, if anything, yeah, I'm so appreciative of this conversation because I found that in the wake of our loss, nobody really wanted to talk to us, right? Like when we were um, a potential win, we had, you know, tons of media outlets like knocking down our door and then you get the loss and it's like the phone stops ringing and, it, and it's crickets. And it's mm -hmm. like, do, do we have something interesting to say? I, I think so. And I think that, you know, if you don't look at a loss and bring it out into the light, um, you're not going to be able to learn from it. Absolutely. And ultimately, like, that, that's what it's all about. So um, I will say that organizing is hard. It comes with a lot of risks, um, material risks that people should take seriously, obviously. Um, but I really think um, the difference is made by being willing to take the leap 
most people have issues at work in some way or another, but most people don't organize. And there's lots of reasons why that is. Um, but some of it is just sheerly having that, that will, that support, that trustedness, <laughs> if you will, to just, to just do it. And so if anybody out there is kind of on the fence, uh, just let me be that person that says, you know, you do it. And if you lose, it's, it's not the end of the world. You can mm. always come back. Absolutely. I think that's a great place to end it. Thank you so much for your time. Yep. We really appreciate it. Yep. Thank you so much for having me. This has been wonderful. Take care. Yep. Thanks. Right. If y'all want to hear more of Amy Wilson, uh, you can find her on uh, Revolutions Per Minute. They have a podcast, um, and you can find them on Twitter at uh, NYCRPM. NYCRPM. Um, good stuff. Good stuff Absolutely. happening there. Yeah. Thanks again. All right. Thank you. Yeah, so that was a that was a great guest, great episode. Really appreciate that, uh, Jacob. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, really appreciate that. <clears throat> it's been a good shop talk. I enjoyed it, yeah, definitely. Uh, so as we wrap up here, I did want to share some upcoming training opportunities from Labor Notes. Uh, really appreciate what they're doing. So if you know you are one of those people who are considering organizing in your workplace. Uh, if there are people already, you know, making moves to, to that effect in your workplace, or maybe you, you've never thought about it before, but it sounds cool. Whatever the situation, I highly recommend you check out Labor Notes. Go to labornotes.org. They have some great training opportunities coming up. They have their stewards workshop in May on May 22nd. That's on a Monday, uh, Monday evening, 5 to 6.30 p.m. Central Time. Uh, this is specifically for union stewards. So if you're not a steward or you're, uh, you know, if you're just a rank and file, may not necessarily be your thing. Uh, but if you're interested in becoming a steward or you think that's something that could happen, definitely check this out because this is going to be on just cause, uh, which is so important to union contracts and, and unionism, period. So uh, this workshop will be on Just Cause, where we'll talk about what it is, what it isn't, and how stewards can use it to vigorously enforce the rights of members. Uh, and the great thing is Bob Schwartz, who is a veteran labor attorney who literally wrote the book on Just Cause, he is going to be doing the training. So uh, definitely check that out. Again, that's Monday, May 22nd, uh, that evening on Zoom. The cost is $10, but no one will be turned away due to lack of funds. They also have their May Secrets of a Successful Organizer workshop series. Uh, you have already missed the first two, but the May 17th is going to be the last session. That one is on turning an issue into a campaign. And in terms of other plugs, uh, this is actually the official Teacher Appreciation Week. Um, it's it's been odd i've seen appreciation week stuff happening last week and this week but apparently this week is the real one uh so shout out to all the educators out there i know i've heard from some who have been less than impressed with what they've received for appreciation <laughs> week so just let me say uh as a former educator i know how hard and important your job is and i really do appreciate you I uh, also wanted to mention Jacob's article from In These Times, An Explosion, Layoffs, and the End of Paper NJ came out a few weeks ago. Uh, check that out if you missed it. 
I was on America's Workforce Radio this morning, uh, and mm. it will be airing this afternoon or evening. Uh, so sometime by the end of today, it should be out. Uh, y'all check that out. I got a chance to talk about that really bad voting rights bill, HB 209, and why you should contact your state senator to oppose that bill, uh, as well as the school visits I did recently and uh, IATSE's perspective of sol solidarity with the writer's strike. And uh, last plug for today is the Alabama International Fringe Festival, which is a three-day event taking place on May 12th, 13th, and 14th in the river region of Alabama, centered in Montgomery. That includes a performance of Toll Puddle, the musical, a musical about union struggles in 1800s England. Uh, last week, we spoke to a cast member as well as the director. We played a clip uh, from the musical. So if y'all are down in that neck of the woods, definitely check that out. I think that's really cool that there's a union-themed musical happening. I think it's cool that there's a festival like this happening, an arts mm. festival with films and plays and music. Uh, love to see it. Love to see it in Alabama. Yep. So that's it for the 10th episode of Shop Talk. Hope it was worth your time, and I really appreciate everyone listening. If you enjoyed it, please share with your network and make sure you're plugged into our work. Stay tuned to the Valley Labor Report on Saturday morning, starting at 9.30 a.m. Central, live on WVNN, YouTube, and Facebook. Please sign up for our email list at tvlr.fm, and don't forget to like, review, share, and subscribe. And finally, if you share our mission to grow the Southern labor movement, if you share our belief in the power of solidarity and collective organization, if you want media that is for working people, by working people, please consider becoming a recurring donor at tvlr.fm slash donate. All power to the workers. Solidarity, y'all.